Good morning, everyone. How many of you are feeling a little bit under the weather at the moment? Oh, no, it's not only me, is it? My wife sends her apologies, but she was very generous and gave what she had to me so I could bring it to you today. Um, <laughs> so forgive me, please, if I don't stay very close to many of you at the end of the service, but it's for your blessing that I'm keeping my distance from you. So, friends, we're going to talk further about the good news that we began talking about last week. You know we're talking about the book of Romans. This is a book that's influenced countless people in the past, for whatever century they belong to, whether it be the 4th century with Augustine, the uh, 16th century with Luther, the 18th century with John Wesley, and a very young-looking John Coles in the 19th century, uh, 20th century following. Uh, do you know one of my most embarrassing moments when I was at theological college was when I just arrived and we were, uh, they wanted to test how much Bible knowledge we had and we were asked to, one of the questions was, write a resume of Romans 1 to 8. How many of you have been believers for more than 10 years? Okay, now you friends, I had not been a believer for 10 years at that point. I'd been converted at 18 and I was now 21 or 22. And I was asked to write a resume of the book of Rome, uh, the first eight chapters. So I had to learn something about this book after the event rather than before the event, as I'm sure that everybody else did far better than I did in their resume, because I had no idea whatsoever. But there are a few verses that I learnt very early on, which so I was able to reference those verses, even if not the whole argument. Have you heard of the Navigator's Bible learning system, some of you? where you had a credit card size, little bit of a card, and on one side of it was the verse, and on the other side of it was the, the address. So if I gave you the address, Romans 3, verse 23, what does it say? Oh, hey, no, no theologians, no ordained people, no people in training allowed to answer. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6, verse 23. Ah, oh, we'll come to that though in, in a minute then. Okay, so that, that's, that's just going to come up. So last week, Andy told me about the wonder of us, I should say. The good news of God was planned. The good news of God is about a person. The good news of God is for all people. That's why we're here today. Because we're amongst the all people that Jesus anticipated the gospel going to around the nations when he ascended into heaven and he gave his disciples the task of taking it everywhere. They thought, how could we possibly do that? They, they discovered they had no hope. The power of the Spirit of God came upon them and they began to be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And amongst the ends of the earth was dear old Great Britain. And not everybody was born in Great Britain. I say that, I know that, but I was and that's why I'm here today. Because the good news of God revealed in Jesus Christ is for all nations. Now let's backtrack. How important is doing what's right to you? Doing what's right to you is probably quite important. Uh, doing what's right in the eyes, oh dear, that hasn't quite worked. Uh, I have to work on this, Graham, don't worry about it. Um, in the eyes of the law is very significant for some. It's actually a matter of life and death. This is the... Um, um, morality police in, in Iran. If you don't do what is right in the eyes of the law in Iran and in many other totalitarian states around the world, your life is threatened. 
Doing what's right is important. Doing what's right is important in the eyes of others because of their image. They want to fit in. It's not a life and death matter, but it's just a matter of fitting in. One sets a trend. Nowadays, blue jeans, white shirt, beard, glasses, particularly cropped hair. No, probably for people younger than you guys. Um, You know, one person does it and everybody begins to do it. And why is that? Just for the sake of fitting in. But doing what's right in the eyes of others is actually important for all of us if we want to feel that we have a, a group of people around us. Now, I'm a, I'm a sort of vague Elvis Presley first-generation fan, only vague. He used to say, sing, do what is right for you. And that actually has become the motto of our, our society today. Um, it's called expressive individualism. Make sure you do what is right for you. And, you know, we're not the first generation that's thought that. I've referenced here in the book of Judges where it says in that, those generations of the judges, everyone did what was right in his own eyes. That's equally true today as it was then. But, of course, doing what's right is at the heart of it. So whether it's doing what's right in the eyes of the Lord, doing what's right in the eyes of other people, doing what's right in your own eyes... We all have embedded within us somewhere some concept of doing what's right. The problem is, Elvis Presley went on, do what is right for you, so long as it doesn't hurt no one. Uh, excuse his English, please. But, um, you know, what he's saying is, uh, if it's okay for you and if it doesn't hurt anyone else, it's okay. The problem is, friends, we don't know when it is, whether or not it's going to hurt somebody else. You familiar with these guys? I was with some friends uh, 10 days ago. Uh, we, we could have been described as grumpy old men. What it meant was that I was uh, visiting some friends from my Hartford College um, university days. So this is over 50 years ago that we now left college. No, it can't be. No. no. That, we, that we went up to college. Anyway, so there were four of us. We studied engineering together. And uh, the last few years, we tried to get together. And so there we were talking. I can't remember how the subject of e-scooters came up. Have you ever talked with anybody about e-scooters? Hands up those who like e-scooters. Hands up those who don't like e-scooters. Okay, I don't know who came on the e-scooter that's out there, but uh, there is, actually it probably isn't an e-scooter, is it, in the lobby? <laughs> it's just a scooter. But they are lethal. A grandmother was run over by the four, a 14-year-old and was the first pedestrian killed by an e-scooter in the UK. Of course, she didn't think there was any harm in it. The fact it's against the law is irrelevant. She just did what was right in her own eyes. But actually, there are always consequences, whether they're as dramatic on that occasion or not, of doing what's right in your own eyes, because as a result of that, normally, if it's not something for which we're designed, someone gets hurt. So doing what's right... In the, oops, in the eyes of God is actually... Oh, my goodness, we leapt on a long way there, didn't we? Um, doing what's right in the eyes of God is actually the most important thing. And actually, if you're reading, it's not doing what's right, it's being what's right in the eyes of God. That's the most important and critical thing if we're thinking about being or doing what's right. One day, all of us are going to stand before the judgment seat of Christ. And at that point it will be revealed the extent to which it's the eyes of other people, our own eyes, or the eyes of the law that has molded us.
to do what we do or be what we be. The only really important thing is if it's the Lord God himself and the law of God that has molded us. Now, in the gospel, it says, the righteousness of God is revealed. What does that mean? I think there's three aspects of this, briefly. I'm not, um, one is that the true nature of God is revealed in the gospel. What righteousness really looks like. What is God really like? Is a question that all over the world, throughout the centuries, people have asked. And they've come up with all sorts of different descriptions of what God is really like. For us... God has revealed himself finally in Jesus Christ, in whom all the fullness of God dwelt bodily. In other words, if we really want to know what God looks like, we look at Jesus. The righteousness, what God is really like, is revealed in Jesus. Secondly, the righteousness of God is revealed in Jesus because he, as a human being, shows us what it looks like to be living right in the eyes of God. He lived the life of someone who was always doing what his father asked him to do, always saying what his father asked him to say. If we want to know what it looks like to be living righteously in the eyes of God, we simply have to look at Jesus. And thirdly, in the coming of Jesus, we discover not only what God looks like, not only what it looks like to be a human being that is living right in the eyes of God, but actually how to enter into a relationship that is right with God. So the, the gospel reveals the righteousness of God. So now, uh, let's, let's look at one or two verses that I learned off my um, navigator. That was one. That, um, no, that was, that, no, it wasn't. It was 16 that I learned. Not one. Uh, come on. I want the next one, if I may, please. Graham, I've, I've blown this. I don't know what's going on with it. Um, there we are. So here we go, Romans 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now, this is not the most flattering verse for any human being. That means I am included. All, regardless of our background, regardless of our age, regardless of our creed, regardless of whether we're raised in a Christian or not in a Christian family, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does it mean? It means, as we know, that we cannot reach God from the human side of life which we were born into. However hard we try, however hard we even try to do what's right in the eyes of God, we discover that even the good things that we want to do, we're not always able to do. We fall short of the perfect glory of the living God. So what, what does that mean? Well, next one, please. Uh, the wages of sin, oh dear, that is, the, the, this PowerPoint is not quite working as, it, as I hoped it would. The wages of sin is death. Behind that picture of the gold gift is a picture of the, the Old Bailey. And as you know, on top of the Old Bailey building in the centre of London, there is a huge statue with uh, weighing the scales of justice. In the end, if God is right, pure, holy, and the judge, he will judge justly. And what does that mean for anybody that's fallen short of the glory of God that sinned against him. Well, if, heaven, if God is perfect and heaven is a perfect place, there is no entry. So the wages of sin, the thing that we naturally get as a result of being sinners in a sinful world, is death, a separation eternally from the living God. But, now this is a very important but. Let's say it together. But, that does not have to be the end of the story. 
But the free gift of God, as I learned it, the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Instead of a wage that we earn, a justice that would have been against us, a death penalty on us, as a result of the coming of Jesus and our faith in him, a free gift is given to us instead, which is eternal life. And all God's people would want to say hallelujah at that moment. I mean, this is incredible. We had a death penalty over us, and actually now we've got a gift of eternal life. What, what choice is that? And that's why when somebody sees the reality of what Jesus has done on the cross for them, they naturally say, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Now let's look a little bit more. This is good news. Let's think about the way in which, just remember, the good news was planned long ago. I know we were told this last week, but what is the essence of the gospel and the proclamation of the good news to other people? This is Isaiah predicting the coming of Jesus. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim salvation. Salvation is in this phrase. Your God reigns. Your God reigns. What does that mean? Next slide, please. God is still alive. He's still on his throne. He's still active in his world. And God is wanting to come to help you now. That's the declaration. It's not just a declaration, oh, there was a wonderful man called Jesus who lived 2,000 years ago. You know, he was a great guy. <laughs> I picked up a hitchhiker once back in my days as a student. It was probably while, it was while I was at theological college. And, um, it, you know, it was, it was the days of flower power. My Morris Minor hand-converted van into a traveler with a split windscreen. I can see one or two of you thinking back to those days. Hand-painted purple on the outside, orange and black on the inside. And flowers stuck over it with the name Ahab because it, it was driven as Ahab drove furiously. Anyway, um, but we got into a little conversation about what do you do. I discovered he ran the, what it was called the penultimate picture house in Oxford. Well, you might imagine what the penultimate picture house, what sort of films they were showing, and what do you do? Do you do? I said, well, I'm training to be um, a, a vicar in the Anglican church and lead people to Jesus. What do you think of Jesus? I said to him, hmm, he was a real cool man. He wasn't just a real cool man. He came to reveal the extent to which there is a living God, that this living God is active right now, and he wants to come into the life of everybody to change the death penalty into a gift of life. Um, so, the beginning of the good news. Let's turn to the next slide. The next one is, is, is Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's all about... Forgive me, please, I haven't got a nice western-looking, blue-eyed, long-haired Hollywood Jesus picture. I've actually got a picture deliberately of someone who looks a little bit more like what Jesus probably looked like in the Middle Eastern of his day. The beginning of the best news that the world has ever heard, Mark chapter 1, verse 1, is the birth of Jesus. Everything about Jesus is good news. That's why his birth... And then the story is the beginning of. It's the beginning of the declaration of the way in which and the demonstration of the way in which God was going to change the lives of every individual that Jesus met. And the way in which he still changes the lives of every individual that Jesus meets. That includes me and that includes you. 
So everything about Jesus is good news, you know. Um, no, next one. In, in Acts chapter 10, there's a little summary. It's really good. I like this. The message God sent to the people of Israel announced the good news of peace through Jesus Christ to his Lord of all. So there was an announcing, a preparation moment. Then there was a delivery moment. Next one, please. God anointed Jesus with the Holy Spirit and power, and he went around, wonderful phrase, doing good and healing all who were under the power of the devil. Who else can do that? There is none but Jesus that can heal everyone who's under the power of the devil. Whether the healing is of the mind, of the body, of the spirit, all of us living in planet Earth come under the constant assault of the devil, the enemy of God and the accuser of the brethren. And the only one that can set us free, and Jesus did this every day of his life after he began his public ministry, was he went around doing good and healing all who were under the power of the enemy. So whether that power was broken relationships such that they were on their own in life social outcasts, in other words, a, a man like Zacchaeus, who was a tax collector, who was completely outcast, so the crowd were pushing him away and he had to climb into a tree. Whether it's somebody that's been involved in sexual immorality and, um, and, and he meets a number like that, either the woman at the well or even the woman who was brought to him um, from, uh, uh, from the adultery bed, Jesus welcomes them into his group. Whether it's people with, with tempers that were uncontrollable, because I think that's what James and John were as sons of thunder. Whether it was ordinary people who were just trying to carry on their trade, fishermen like uh, Peter and Andrew... I, it was anybody and everybody that Jesus met in some way under the influence of the enemy, distant from God. And we know that to the extent to which he even said to them some months and even years into their walk with Jesus, why are you so unbelieving? But he included them in. His disciples, that discipleship, fellowship, that community, that first modeling of a church, that showed us what church really should be like. And it's an, it's, it's an image in my mind always as I'm thinking, friends, what would it be like to be with Jesus? It should We being together should be like what it means to be with Jesus, just as it was when he was physically present on earth by his spirit right now. He's gathering us all from all sorts of different broken backgrounds. He's saying, stay together with me. Oh, I want to say hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. There's no one that can do that but Jesus. Everything he said, everything he did, every, every day of his life was to bless other people. And it's the gospel. It's the good news. Jesus is the good news. Even his death is the good news. Because that chasm which could not be bridged from man's end reaching into heaven to become, to, 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 to gain a place and to be ready for a place in heaven in the future, new heavens and the new earth, we could not do that so Jesus stepped down from heaven to create a bridge in order that we might enter into it. And he could give us the free gift, which death gives us the entry. His death was not a mistake. And it's interesting that some people are still saying that. What a terrible thing. He only had three years to do what he did. It is a terrible thing. But had he not died the death he did, you and I would not know that there is an entry created into the heavenly places for us as a result of his death. He, the righteous, for us, the unrighteous, in order to bring us to God. And Pentecostals are still saying, oh, there's a Pentecostal on the front row. I love it. Thank you, Eve. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. And we know that that was a successful thing. This is the next slide, which probably won't work as a result of this thing. If you, if you, it's not working. So that stone was meant now to be rolling away to reveal the wonderful light as the tomb was em made empty by the resurrection of Jesus. Oh, it is. 
Look at that. Wonderful. Jesus was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection on the dead. In other words, what he had done on the cross was a successful thing. God was affirming the value and declaring the reality of what he'd done in bringing victory even over the last enemy of man, which is death. And one day we will all know the extent of, the fa- of our beneficiaries, what we've regained as a result of being beneficiaries of that. So, is this good news? This is the gospel. This is Jesus. This is what he's done for us. This is what the book of Romans is about. And I've taught you two verses, which are Romans 3, verse 23. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And Romans 6, verse 23. Very good. We're a gospel people. Now, this good news has got to be taken everywhere. Next one, Graham, please. It will be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations, and then the end will come. Now, the question we have, and probably this is where I ought to finish because we run out of time, um, is how confident we are, are we in sharing this gospel? So here's a little clip from the, um, Rome, the Romans course uh, on which uh, this series of sermons is based and on which our discussions in our home groups is based over the next weeks. So if we can show this, that, ask yourselves the question, try and answer it. So how confident are we then that our city, colleagues, neighbours and friends all need Jesus? Being honest, I wonder sometimes. I mean, unless a crisis flares up, many of my friends seem pretty satisfied with life. You know, so long as their kids are safe and having a few drinks with their friends and their sports team are winning. Perhaps in more honest moments, you've also wondered... Is the Christian gospel still relevant in our modern, sophisticated society? Perhaps you found yourself a bit tongue-tied when faith has come up in conversation. So let's have a moment for some honest reflection. If you imagine a spectrum, I wonder where you would put yourself right now. How confident are we in the gospel? Well, wherever you feel you're at right now, my hope is that our journey through Romans will mean we all move a bit more to the right. Can you go back and, and leave us with that, uh, the last frame of that um, video easily, um, Graham? You may so not be able to. So how confident are we then that our city, colleagues, neighbours and friends all need this reflection? If you imagine a spectrum, I wonder where you would put yourself right okay, now. How confident are we in the gospel? Plagued well, by doubt. wherever you feel you're at Very right uncertain, now. up and down, mostly confident or fully assured. You see, it, 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 telling other people about the good news of Jesus isn't just the work of one or two evangelists like Billy Graham. It is the work of every single one of us. Your street in which you live, the workplace in which you spend your time, the club which you meet uh, people socially, the pub that you go to regularly, where, whatever it is, who else is there that knows Jesus in the way that you do, in that place, in that street, in that workplace, in that club. It might be that you are the only person that those people in that area meet that know Jesus. So who's to tell them? That's why we are praying that all of us, I included, will grow in my confidence 
in the gospel that Jesus really is the best news that the human world has ever, ever, ever heard for every single human being. That means my neighbor on my right, my neighbor on my left, does I see and play within the golf club, whether I've played with them ten times before or no times before. Each one is in need of Jesus. And I could be the one to tell them about him. So that's why we, in our reading, if you go to number 25, please, Graham, that would be great. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes. That was the third verse I learned with my navigator's Bible reading system. I don't want to be ashamed, Lord. And I pray that you'd free me from either ignorance still, lack of confidence, or fear of what other people may say. That you give me a simplicity, a boldness, and a winsomeness in talking about you, Lord Jesus, the best news that the world has ever heard. For your name and for your glory's sake, I pray it, Lord. Amen.